to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. When Megan and I had kids, um, especially when they started going to school, our life rhythm shifted significantly. Gone were the days of a relaxed morning routine and sleeping in. Every morning during the school week, my alarm goes off at 6.30, not because I have somewhere to be, but because my kids do. And I groggily get out of bed after staying up later than I should have, and I head to the room that Roland and Aiden and Catherine still share, and I sing them a wake-up song that I made up. And it goes like this. Good morning, good morning, good morning to you, Roland and Aiden and sweet Catherine too. It's time to get up and put on your clothes. Then we will eat and we'll go to school. And like I have to do that like three or four times, right? And hopefully, <laughs> right, th- th- that's sweet, Nathan, thanks. Um, hopefully this like gently and lovingly awakens them. Not like my alarm, right? I don't even know why we start our days with an alarm. The very term is like anxiety-inducing. Sirens or loud music or incessant beeping is not a gentle or loving invitation into the day in God's beautiful world of love. Um, So I try to provide my children with something that I do not receive in the morning. And Catherine just like sleeps through my song, right? (laughs) Roland, surprisingly, is the most ready to get up and head to school, and Aiden falls in somewhere in between. Now, if we happen to be a day where there's no school, Roland and Catherine just sleep indefinitely, and Aiden is my joyful and excited alarm who comes in ready to embrace the day. But eventually, in the mornings, we get out the door, like somewhere between 7.05 and 7.15, and I drive them to school. Now, in the mornings, this drive is pretty quiet. They're just waking up. They're really cold as the car heats up during like the one month in Tucson where you actually have to use a heater. Um... So there's not a lot of talking. We do more listen to music or we do audiobooks. We do audiobooks a lot. In fact, we just finished listening to C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treader this week. Um, and it's a lot of fun to experience great books that I loved as a kid um, and then see them through my children's eyes. So normally I drop them off at school and then I start my work day and Megan picks them up. But this week our routine was disrupted a bit. So I ended up picking up Roland and Aiden from school a couple times. And I discovered that pickup is way better than drop off way better. The boys are like excited to see me when I arrive, and they are bursting to tell me about their day. Now, I'll admit that there are some days, uh, I'll be honest about parenting, that my questions about how the day went uh, or specifics receive minimal responses. But recently, there's been a lot to share. So here's some of the samplings of what they've shared uh, on the drive home. At recess, an ambulance came because one of the kids collapsed, which is which is scary, but the kid is fine. Um, but, it was, but it was on the playground, and everybody like, was freaking out, and it was like the, the thing of the day everybody was talking about. The, the child is fine, uh, just a little traumatic. Or Aiden, this is one of Aiden's, I don't, know, I don't remember this kid's name, but we're going to call him Johnny. Johnny told me that he would trade me all of his Pokemon cards if I traded him my Regigigas today. <laughs> then the, this was Friday. Both of them, we got goodie bags, Roland says, yes. One of the girls in my class had a birthday, and Aiden says, and she was kind enough to give me a bag, too. And I know that, like, he sounds really adult, and I'm not not just editing this. That's literally what he said, um, the exact words. And I said, did you say thank you? This is going to reveal that he's a five-year-old. No, I forgot. (laughs) I'll tell her tomorrow. 
but tomorrow is Saturday, so I'm pretty sure that thank you is just never coming to Mysterious Girl. So in these instances with my kids, something happened that they wanted to share. One was a little scary, maybe a lot scary. One was a scam, because it was, give me this card now, I'll give you things tomorrow. We'd have some conversations about how that plays out. Um, and then one was really exciting. But in all three of these instances, they needed to talk to me um, about their day because they wanted to share. And this sharing is a sign of relationship and intimacy. Um, and the truth is, when they're excited, it's generally good. Sometimes I'll hear things where they're a little bit more subdued. This person was mean to me. This kid called me a name. Um, and they share their pain or concern. Um, but ultimately, what they're doing is they're talking to me about what's happening in their life. But every once in a while, we have a real conversation. And on Friday, as I mentioned, we, we finished the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which prompted a lot of thoughts in Aiden's mind. So th this was highlights from our conversation on Friday, driving home. This is like a 15-minute drive. Aiden asked me, where is heaven? And how do we get there? There's a lot of talk about Aslan's country. And, um, so I tried to talk to him about like, being with God when we die and um, the Bible picturing heaven and earth as like one renewed place where God is with his people, love and justice and peace reign. Um, the hard thing to, to conceptualize. It's the good place, right? Where there's no more, the no more tears place. And Aiden then said, I can't wait to meet Grandma Patty, who is my mom who preceded us in going home to Jesus. And I said, I'm sure she can't wait to meet you too. Um, then we talked about my stepmother, Rosie, who my dad married a couple of years after my mom died. Um, and what step means in regards to like step parenting and stepchildren, because it's kind of an interesting addition. We discussed divorce and why people get divorced. It was a far-ranging and significant conversation with Aiden asking questions, me trying to engage with those questions well, and my older son, Roland, piping in with his observations and thoughts. I'm not sure I was ready for his opinions, but he was offering them. Um, <laughs> now, there's a big difference between these two types of conversations, right? The ones where the boys talk to me, and the ones where the boys talk with me. When they talk to me, they aren't all that concerned with what I'm going to say. <laughs> the primary goal is them sharing and me listening and being present and, and showing them that they're loved by, by my attention, right? Um, when they talk with me, we've got a lot more of a back and forth with questions and requests and discussion. And both of these are important. Both of these build intimacy and relationships, um, but there's a progression, right? When kids are young, they're just learning to talk, and they learn by listening and modeling and hearing us. When they get older, they start initiating conversation and talking to us, looking for confirmation and, and connection and affirmation. And then, as they get older, they start to talk with us, where we participate more actively in the conversation. Now, this idea is what we're going to explore this morning as it relates to talking with God. So this is week two of our On the Line series where we're exploring how to actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the primary way we do this is in prayer. Last week, Tyler talked about talking to God. And Tyler laid out Jesus' teaching about how to pray and the model prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, which we know today as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, which is a fantastic place to start in your journey in learning to prayer. We start with a model prayer or other written prayers in Scripture or by followers of Jesus that teach us how and what we can and should pray. But much like my kids, there's a progression in our conversations with God. We learn from Jesus, we read the prayers in Scripture, we pray them ourselves, all of which is incredibly helpful when we're learning how to pray. Or perhaps when we are in a season 
where we aren't sure what to pray, or it's painful or hard to pray. It's a wonderful time to fall back on written prayers in Scripture and liturgy. Um, in those instances, using the Psalms, the Shema, the Lord's Prayer, helps us to pray. But as we grow in a relationship, it is normal to want to express ourselves to Jesus in our own words, to talk to our Father about the good and bad of our days and our world, just like my boys do with me. We want to talk with God, not just at God or to God. So this is the second part of this four-part journey that we're on together on Sunday mornings and in small groups. Um, you can even supplement your growth with the, material, the resources from small groups. With, there's a podcast you can listen to. There are books in the bookstore. I know many people like, uh, there's a book called Living Like Monks, Praying Like Fools by Tyler Statton that will be in the bookstore next week. I ordered it this week, but shipping has been slow. I personally love Sky Jatani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer?, which is designed to be read in like short bursts, like two to four page sections. It's not long. It's very easy to engage with. And it includes illustrations. What adult doesn't want a picture somewhere in their book, right? Um, we don't have to leave that behind when we're kids. We can still get it today. This is one of the illustrations um, in this book that kind of lays out where we're headed in this journey, the four-part journey. Talking at, he uses talking at God or talking to God, praying to God, listening to God, and being with God. That's kind of the four weeks that we're walking for, if you want to see the journey that we're heading on. Um, so we'll walk through all these four stages and levels of prayer in this series on Sunday in our small groups, and I really encourage you to join and grow in one of those groups. Tyler covered the Lord's Prayer and some reasons we might not pray, as well as some reasons that we should. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to check out the DR podcast um, and catch up if you want. But today we'll continue learning from Jesus about prayer and move on to the second stage, talking with God. So we'll be in Luke 11 again. We were at the beginning of Luke 11, where Jesus introduces the the Lord's Prayer. So let's remember the context, right? The disciples wanted to learn how to pray. They saw that prayer was a vital practice and a consistent rhythm in Jesus' life. They saw an intimacy in that relationship, and they saw the spiritual power that Jesus lived with, and naturally wanted to know, how do I pray like that? How can I have the same kind of connection with God? Um, and before we, we get to where we are today, I just want to pause and consider for us, do we want to know how to pray like the disciples wanted to know? Is prayer something that we actually want to do instead of merely something we think we ought to do or some sort of spiritual medicine we take or obligation we offer to God? Because I imagine that some of you are a little bit like me and prayer has been a challenge in your life. That you're maybe not always sure what to pray. You don't really know how to pray. Maybe uncomfortable in silence, which is particularly challenging. Um, because it's hard to sort through, like, what is God saying? How do I understand him? Listen to God. Is there a response happening? We're going to cover that next week. I'm not going to dive into the re God's responses. That's what all next week is. But it makes, it makes it hard. Like, you're kind of, am I talking to myself? How's this playing out, right? Um, I know for me, it's much easier to do things for God or to jump through spiritual hoops than to actually learn to be with God. So if you feel that way, you're not alone. I struggle, this with, I struggle with it myself. Many people do, and many ministry leaders do as well. Jatani from the book I just referenced writes this. In many Christian communities, language about having a personal relationship with Jesus is ubiquitous. But the practice of prayer, which is how we actually have a personal relationship, is largely absent. And while Jesus' disciples wanted to learn how to pray above all else, our priorities are precisely the opposite. A nationwide survey asked pastors to identify their highest ministry priorities. Among the top results were evangelism and outreach, 46%, and preaching, 
Prayer ranked dead last at 3%. And I'll be honest, if I had filled out that survey, I probably would have contributed to prayer being dead last. When I think about like daily priorities or priorities for the church, my personal communion with God is not always at the top of my um, mind. Um, But when Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray, he says this. He said to them, when you pray. So Jesus assumed that his followers would be praying. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. For many reasons, prayer isn't a daily practice for us. The urgent demands of our lives can push it to the bottom of our to-do list. Instead of living in constant communication with God, we relegate it to an occasional task when life gets really tricky. We say that we will pray more, but we rarely take the steps to instill the habits that allow us to do that. We want to help that change in our lives and in our community and in our church. If we want to see our lives and our world change, it starts with prayer. If we want to live a life like Jesus, prayer shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be our first thought. In prayer, we align our hearts with God's. We get to know him better. We cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Prayer is where change starts. And I want to change to be more like Jesus. Jesus was clear that his followers are people who pray. It's how we actually have a relationship with Jesus. So this is what we're working on in this series. And if we don't know where to start, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches that we went over last week is an excellent way to start. But then, after he introduces the Lord's Prayer, Jesus continues teaching about prayer. That wasn't the end of the teaching. That was just the beginning. Um, This is what he says next. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from the bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I love these stories. So this is like a really interesting follow-up to the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus seems to assume that while we start with a model prayer like the Lord's Prayer, where we're learning to pray using Jesus' words, at some point, we'll actually want to talk to God about what's going on in our day. Maybe tell him about the buddy who showed up and you don't have food for him, so you gotta, I I need help. What am I supposed to do? I need to feed him. Um, We have very practical needs, and it is normal to want to progress to just sharing your life and your desires with God. Um, Now, the host in this story is asking his friend for help. which starts with important details about the day, right? It's not just, hey, I need help. It's like, hey, so like this, this, these people showed up unexpectedly and we weren't prepared and we don't have bread. Maybe you have bread. Could you help me? Um, and when we talk to God, as we learn to talk to God, one of the ways we can do that in our own words is to pray the details of our lives, to talk to God about what's happening. An easy way to think of this is to consider two categories. We talk to God about the good things and we talk to God about the bad things. I mean, we can, we can get into the mundane stuff with God. Like, you can give him the running, you know, list of your life. But I think you'll ask any married couple, like, just saying, here are the things I did today is not as interesting as really what we talk about is what was good and what was bad, right? So just like my boys can't wait to share the great things that happened in the day, we can share those with God. A shorthand here when you think about good things is thinking gratitude. We share the great parts of our days in prayer. And we thank God for his blessing and gifts, for the life we have, and for the joy we've experienced. One of my favorite verses is James 1.17. It reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, 
who does not change like shifting shadows. He is consistent. He loves us. He wants to hear our prayers. He gives us good things. So as we start talking with God in our own words, gratitude is a great place to start. There's a message on the DR podcast that dives deeply into gratitude, just that idea, if you want to listen to it from just after Thanksgiving, 11, 27, 22. Um, talks about growing in gratitude, contentment, and generosity, if you want to dive in on that. But I also want to encourage you not just to talk to God about the good things, I want to encourage you to talk to God about the challenges, the hard things, what's painful. Just like my boys share when they've been hurt or wronged or sad, we should do that with God as well. And the single word here is lament. We lament and we mourn what is wrong about the world and about our communities and about our own hearts. We can tell God when we're hurt, when we're angry, when the world isn't as it should be, when his kingdom hasn't come yet, and there's pain because of that. Jesus clearly invited us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, which not only aligns our hearts with God and God's purposes in the world, but acknowledges the reality that the world is not yet the way that it's meant to be or how God desires it to be, not yet. But we can pray for it and we can act in line with God's kingdom and we can mourn and lament the hard things in prayer. So as we start talking to God with our own words, we can pray our days, especially in gratitude and lament. Now let's get back to the, uh, the story, because that's more fun, right? So right, we have an unprepared host, and in the ancient, ancient Near East, hospitality is of incredible value. If a guest arrives and you aren't able to feed them, it's a major problem. So you try your neighbor. Maybe you've been in a situation like this. I was in a situation like this this week. My van couldn't start a few days ago, and I thought to myself, who can I reach out to in the dark, cold Tucson night? But I don't know all my neighbors all that well. Um, I don't know who has jumper cables. So I started thinking, who in our church lives the closest to me? This would be the least inconvenient. And so I reached out to Daniel, who lives right around the corner from me. Um, and he and Kara kindly helped me. They responded. They were available. They took pity <laughs> and came to my house. But in the story that Jesus tells, the neighbor doesn't want to help. He's no Daniel and Kara. I don't know what this guy's deal is. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to help. It's inconvenient. It's late. He could help, but he prefers not to. He says, I can't help you, but we all know that just means I won't help you. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus says, if you annoy your neighbor enough, if you won't go away, he'll eventually get up and help you. And this is not the only time that Jesus tells a parable about persistence or about not giving up or almost being a nuisance, right? Here's another one of my favorites, which is from later in Luke. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with her, the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Which would be like an awesome thing to say to a judge, like, grant me justice. You know, um, I have an adversary. And, you know. But for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So these stories have been misinterpreted countless times, often by people who are just learning to read the Bible and trying to sort through parables, which is a particular genre of scripture that you need to understand well. Because in parables, we like to make direct parallels and say, like, okay, 
This is easy to understand. In these stories, we think the man with the house guest or like the widow who keeps after the judge is us who need to pray consistently. And the grumpy neighbor and the unjust judge who must be nagged into doing what's right, I guess that's God. Um, so the moral of the story is that if we nag God enough, we will finally, he will finally give in and give us what we're asking for. But they're like, that's, that's really not what Jesus is saying. Um, so if you've thought that, like, it's okay, but that's wrong. Uh, hopefully no one has ever taught you that that's what these parables mean. Um, these stories are called how much more stories. How much more. In the story, the widow is an example of someone who fights for justice against a merciless and godless judge, which Jesus literally said, but we read by it sometimes. The judge is not meant to be God at all. That is not the point. The point is that if a merciless, godless judge will eventually give in and dispense justice, how much more will God give us justice? How much more will we receive what we really need when we ask our Father consistently? The neighbor who is reluctant to get up and give bread to the man who awakens after he and his family have gone to bed um, is not God. But the shameless persistence and annoyance will get him to respond. Even, even he will respond. Even the annoyed neighbor will get up eventually. And Jesus is saying, how much more does God love you? How much more will he respond to you? So do not miss this. Jesus is being very clear. God is not reluctant to give us what we need. He does not need to be manipulated. It's not like pulling teeth. If we just nag God enough, eventually he'll come through for us. And Jesus didn't want his disciples to miss this point. So he goes on in Luke eleven nine. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Knock or keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? I mean, man, I mean, in Arizona, that would be possible. Both of these. This feels like they're in a desert, and they are, right? Um, of course not. So if you sinful people know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more should we expect God to respond to us? Even earthly fathers know how to give gifts to their children, Jesus declares. How much more will our heavenly father give us what we need when we ask him? And for some reason, we've mistaken the points of these parables about the shamelessly persistent host, about the persistent widow, and believe that God is reluctant to act and provide for us. Nothing could be further from the truth, Jesus declares. He knows our needs, and he will surely provide what is needed to those who seek first his kingdom and ask him to do so in prayer. So Jesus tells us we should pray and not give up. We should persistently act. It builds our character, or persistently ask, I'm sorry. It builds our character, it develops our relationship with God, and it increases our thankfulness when we see the prayer answered. If something is worth being prayed for, it is worth our persistence in prayer as well. And this idea, this asking, is a big part of talking with God. Asking, or to use, we'll use a bigger, fancier term, uh, supplication. That's what we're talking about. We're supplication. So, and supplication can be broken down into two types, right? Petition, which is asking God to help us, and intercession, which is helping God to help, asking God to help others. The host asks his neighbor, the widow asks the judge, we ask God. We cry out to him to fulfill his promises in our lives and in our world. And we ask because God is able. While our resources are limited, God's are not. Our power to change some things are limited. God does not. This is why we pray to God who can actually do something. And throughout the Bible, there are numerous stories 
of God's incredible actions and miracles in response to prayer. Now, I think sometimes we forget that these often happen hundreds of years apart. So even though there's lots of them, you know, they're not ubiquitous. Um, and in the face of prayers that don't seem to be answered in our lives, because this is the tension with asking, right, is we don't always get what we ask for, do we? Um, or aren't answered the way we like, or just the mundane and ordinary nature of life that isn't always supernatural. We're not experiencing miracles every day. Um, it is easy to assume when we read the Bible that only exceptional people, like Moses or Abraham or the prophet Elijah, has their prayers answered miraculously. And one of my favorite verses about prayer is in James 5:17, and he says this, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. I'm not really advocating for you trying to interfere with the weather, weather. Um, but really what he's saying, like, as awesome as Elijah seems, he's human. He's just like us in many ways, and God responded to his prayers, and he will respond to yours. It may not always be the way you prefer, and more on that in a second, but God always responds. We also ask God, and when we ask, we ask in humility. When we pray, it's a little bit like entering the throne room of the king. The king is the one with the power. We are the humble supplicants asking for something that we cannot do ourselves. And when people encountered kings and queens in history, it doesn't happen much anymore, they would bow before them, recognizing the difference in their stations. And if you read the Gospels carefully, if you start realizing that in Jesus' ministry, many people fell down at his feet, longing for his help and recognizing their need. Now, I don't necessarily endorse bowing down or kneeling in prayer all the time, but there are moments when it may be appropriate. When we use our bodies to declare the truth about reality, that we are coming before our king, that we are humble servants, and we give our hearts a chance to agree with that reality when we use our bodies. So I encourage you this week, try, if you don't ever do this, try something new. Consider kneeling or bowing low when you pray to God once. Not because God needs it, but because it is good for us to be reminded of how great God is and how much we need him. But there's, there's some tension here, because when we ask, we also do so confidently. Not because we're so great, but because God is great. He's the creator of the universe. God spoke a word and everything came into being. The prophet Isaiah describes God's greatness this way. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And Jeremiah says it this way. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. God is great. Nothing is too difficult for him. And he is able and willing to answer our prayers. And because of God's incredible grace, imperfect, broken people like us can become sons and daughters of the Most High. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross paid the price for our sins. And now we who have chosen to follow Jesus have been adopted into God's family. Because of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So even though there's humility when we pray, there's also confidence. We can approach the throne of God in confidence because of God's greatness and Christ's sacrifice. 
And this is where this metaphor of like petitioning a king starts to break down a little bit. Because we aren't beggars at the gate of the palace hoping for a boon. We aren't like a friend of the prince, so we get in to the, the castle because of the prince, because otherwise we wouldn't get in. Um, the Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are adopted into the royal family. We are asking God as sons and daughters. So we can come humbly, but also confidently, even boldly, as Hebrews says. And Jesus encourages us with these striking words. And you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now we're going to like sit here for a little bit. This can sound a little bit like a magical turn of phrase, right? Or like an incantation or, or spell. I just need to say the name of Jesus, right? There's some, there's some Christian songs or Christians who actually treat it this way who like, yeah, it, that, that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying, right? You don't, there's, you don't have to manipulate God into doing what you want. You don't invoke the name of Jesus and then God has to do what you said. Like, this is not how prayer works. Um, God is not a vending machine. Um, this is not magic. Um, so we need to not misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Um, Jesus has already told us how it works. So this is why you read the Bible in context and with itself, because it all unifies and harmonizes together. Um, God loves us, right? And the how much more parables show us that God doesn't have to be worn down. Um, he certainly can't be forced. Um, so what is the deal? What does Jesus mean by asking in Jesus' name? What's that about? In the ancient world, someone's name and their nature are aligned, are almost identical. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we are doing two things. We don't just say, in Jesus' name I pray, and then that's how it works. Praying in Jesus' name actually is the whole process, right? Um, the first thing is that we are claiming our position in Christ as the co-heirs of Christ, just like I mentioned, that we aren't beggars, that God loves us, he delights in us, we're sons and daughters, and so when we pray in Jesus' name, it's a recognition that um, because of Jesus, God listens to us, and we've been adopted in his family. But there's also another aspect to it. It also means when we pray in Jesus' name, we are aligning our hearts and our desires to God's. We pray in Jesus' name when we pray and make requests that are in line with the character of God and his redemptive work in the world. So actually, like, if you think about the Ten Commandments, and it talks about using the Lord's name in vain. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but I'm going to insert it here because it's the same, same idea. You invoke Jesus' name um, when you are aligned with him. And using Jesus' name in vain is saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to, but stamp it with, with Jesus. It's not saying, oh, oh God. That's, not, you, you, that's how, what I grew up with is you don't say things like that. That's not what, that's what the Ten Commandments are about. It's about saying, I will pursue my own agenda no matter what it is, and as long as I stamp it, um, with, with the veneer of Jesus. I can, I can do whatever I want to. And so that's people taking the name of Jesus and advancing their own sinful agendas. And I'm, I'm not going to make a big comment about politics, but it happens all the time in America. All the time. Both parties do it, where they invoke the name of Jesus when really what they want is they want people to align with them and follow their way. That's what taking the name of God in vain is. So when we pray, we don't want to do, pray in vain. We want to pray in line. We want to pray in Jesus' name, which is about invoking our, our son and daughtership and our position in Christ and about praying in line with God's character and will and action in the world. The psalmist says it really well. 
Um, I love this. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. This does not mean that any desire I need, if I just, if I just say the name of Jesus, or I just feel good, God will give me everything I want, because we all know that there are desires in our hearts that are not good, that do not lead us to flourishing, that do not, are not good for us or not good for others. When we delight in God, our hearts will be in time with his. Our desires will be transformed, and we can truly pray in Jesus' name, not just end our prayers with it. I'm not saying you shouldn't end your prayers with it, but it's not an invocation. It's not a magic spell. Um, so we ask for ourselves in petition, and we ask for others in intercession. And as followers of Jesus, we've been blessed to be a blessing, so helping others is part of what we're called to do. We can and should pray for those we care about and for our broken world. And it's also good and beautiful to bring our requests, our concerns, and our problems before the throne of God, who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Because prayer unleashes the kingdom of God. But, and here's the rub, there's also a lot of pain here. Um, Tyler shared a lot of verses, and there are some kind of, it feels like unblushing promises about God's love for us and his response to us. Um, but I think all of us have known the reality of praying for things and not feeling like those prayers are answered, or that maybe God says no, um, or just that we don't, he doesn't seem to respond. There's silence. Um, and I think it leads to a question like, is there a formula that gets me the results that I want? Like if I do this plus this plus this, does God kind of like have to, if I just use Jesus' name, does that mean like he's going to do what I want? Um, why do prayers go unanswered or feel like they're unanswered? And this is a, this is a point of incredible pain. And so I want to recognize that. Um, because there are many people who have prayed persistently, humbly, confidently, asking for God to do what only God can do. And it just seems like he's not there some of the time or that he doesn't care. Um, Sometimes we pray in line with God's revealed will in Scripture and his activity in the world, right, in Jesus' name, um, in the right way, as far as we can understand it, but we do not receive what we long for. I was just listening to a woman talking about the idea that in Genesis, it says, be fruitful and multiply. And the years and years and years, she and her husband prayed to have a child. Just felt like nobody was there. She's like, I feel like this is in line with God's will. But I just don't feel like I hear anything. Um, and I'm certainly not receiving what I prefer, what I'm longing for. That seems like a good thing. I'm not like, I mean, maybe I've got some selfish motives there. But it's complicated and hard. And I think all of us have experienced this to a degree or known people who've gone through challenges here. Um, and I think some people like to say, like, there's just mystery here. Um, and, and there is. There is some mystery. Um, but, but I think we can say more than just there's a mystery with prayer. And I think it's important to be able to think well and understand what the Bible says about some of this. Um, because I think the Bible gives us some wisdom in some instances about why prayers may not go the way that we hope they do. I mean, we saw the Bruce Almighty, right? If God said yes to everything, it doesn't actually lead to good things. And he cares about your character and human flourishing. And some of the time you want what you want isn't good for you. Um, but depending on your theological bent, people often go one of two ways, right? Either God's the problem or we're the problem. So it's God's fault. Either he doesn't love us enough, he's not all-powerful enough, um, he doesn't care, um, or it's our fault. There's sin, you have lack of faith, it's a bad request, right? Maybe there's things you've heard before. Um, I think the Bible really firmly refutes um, that it's God's fault in most situations, consistently, most situations. God is powerful and loving, but it can also be complicated, so I want to dive into the complication just for a minute because I think this is a hard thing. Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, wrote a book called God on Mute, um, which dives into this in, in depth. He, his book, How to Pray, is in the DR store. 
which is a good uh, primer if you want it. Um, but he talks about three theological realities that are helpful to frame this question about why does it feel like God's not answering my prayers. And he talks about three things. He talks about God's world, God's will, and God's war. And C.S. Lewis talks about these. And C.S. Lewis is, has a whole essay on unanswered prayers. So if you like Lewis, like, look that up. It's available online. Um, we'll start with God's world. The reality of this is that the world that God created, miracles are rare, as C.S. Lewis says. If they weren't rare, they wouldn't be miracles, right? That's the whole thing about it being a miracle is it doesn't happen every day. The world works in certain ways, and the principles of life as God designed the world to work apply to us. They apply to everybody. We are not immune to the way God designed things to work. We live in a world that operates under a certain paradigm, and our prayers have to interact with that reality. So when we consider the reality of God's world and how it generally works, we should not be shocked that certain prayers aren't answered. Which does not mean that we don't pray. We do pray. It just means that we should not be surprised if you fail your test when you didn't study, even though you asked God to help you. Or you missed your flight when you got caught in traffic and didn't leave early enough. Um, this is just kind of how the world works, and God often is not going to save you from yourself. Um, in those ways, right? These aren't things that we should be laying at God's feet and be shaking an angry fist at. I failed my test. I mean, I didn't study at all, but God, I prayed in your name. And I still failed that test. Like, that's misplaced anger. We're, we're, we're misunderstanding how this whole thing works, right? Because God's world works in a particular way. In a, in a more serious note here, which applies, I mean, we dealt with this when my mom was dying of cancer. Um, even in sickness and death fall into this category of how God's world operates. We pray about these issues, issues a lot. And even when healing happens or a miracle occurs, my mom's pancreatic cancer would have been a miracle if she survived. Like it's stage four, it's a death sentence. There's just, it would have had to be miraculous, right? Um, but even if there'd been a miracle, all that is is a delay of the reality of the brokenness of our world that will not be set to right again until Jesus returns and wipes every tear from every eye when there will be no more death or sorrow or pain. So even in things that are really hard like this, um, I'm, my, my ex-wife, um, her dad got sick and was dying, and she, it, it crippled her faith. And she's like, I just can't understand. Um, and I think that that's a, like, does God not love me? My, God, my dad is great. It's like, yeah, but like, we all get old and die, and that some of the time we die sooner than we should. And this is, this is not how the world should be. What this should be is not God has caused terrible things, but things are broken, and I long for it to be restored. I'm going to mourn this, and I'm going to lament this um, and process that in a healthy way, but that's not something to lay at God's feet. Um, it's something to process with God. Um, and I'll be honest, like when my mom was dying, I prayed for my mom to be healed because that's what I wanted. Right? I didn't want her to die. Um, but once she was dead, once God had called her home, I knew my prayer was answered in a different way because she was whole in a way that she could never be here. And that's not what I wanted. And I talked to God about that because it's about moving into relationship with God. The second one is God's will. We know that God has a particular plan for redemption in the world, and our prayer needs to be in line with God's will, right? We pray in Jesus' name. Um, and this can be really hard, even agonizing, um, when God wants something different than we do, or when his plan is bigger and more redemptive and good than we can imagine, even though our comfort or preferences are not always protected. 
right? Remember the opening clip with Bruce Almighty. A yes to everything in every situation leads to chaos. It does not always get us what we want. Um, I think if you're a parent, you, there are many times where you will say no to your children because what they're asking for is not good for them. You care about them more than, than their comfort in that exact moment or their longings. Um, in many instances, it, our prayers may not be good or lead to human flourishing either for ourselves or for others, or there's just something bigger going on. And what is really hard here is that suffering is sometimes part of the plan. Consider Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Before facing his betrayal, trial, and crucifixion. Jesus prayed for the cup to be taken from him. And it is not answered the way Jesus would have preferred in that moment. He longs for a way that is different than the pain he's about to endure, but he submits to God's will and to the greater good. So if even Jesus can receive a no in response to a request... We certainly can. And we may not always understand the greater picture until we're with God. Um, but we can trust and live in relationship that there is something greater going on that I may not understand. The third is God's war. And this often makes modern people uncomfortable, um, but Jesus and Scripture are very clear that there are opposing spiritual forces in the world. Sometimes terrible things happen that are not God's will, because he allows humans to have freedom to do evil, to hurt ourselves, to hurt others. We build systems and societies that are broken and painful, and this delights the enemy that opposes God at every turn and wants chaos and destruction. Jesus says it this way, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Paul also writes, for the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, while Jesus won the victory at the cross and evil has been ultimately defeated, the death rattle of evil continues until the restoration of all things. But until that time, the Bible counsels us. First Peter, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there's tension. God allows evil. Um, he is not micromanaging everything. Um, and that's to turn people's hearts to him. Uh, and I ultimately believe that we have the best possible world, but man, it sucks some of the time. Um, not as much for some of us here, if we're honest, but if you look at the state of the world, there are really terrible things going on. And most of those terrible things are done by humans to other humans. Not all of them. And I think that there are spiritual forces animating a lot of evil in the world. And they will be ultimately defeated, but that time has not yet come in fullness. So we need to remember that even when something terrible happens, God says he can redeem things. He can make good out of bad for those who love him. But it doesn't mean it wasn't really bad. It was bad. Um, so there's tension here in talking to God, talking with God, and asking. But it is an important sign of dependence, confidence, relationship, and trust. It brings us into deeper communion even if we don't receive what we long for. Because remember, even Jesus received the no from God in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed along with David in the Psalms in pain when he did not know what else to say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think people make this into like a big theological moment. Jesus is just praying along with David the moment, what he's experiencing. Um, 
He's doing exactly what we talked about last week. When you don't know what to pray, when you're in deep pain, pray the words of Scripture. Um, because it helps you be, to be able to verbalize things that you can't verbalize for yourself in the moment. So I just want to encourage you that Jesus knew the pain you know of not getting what you hoped for, of maybe suffering when you'd prefer not to. Um, and you're not alone in that. And Jesus knew that God the Father was entirely good and trustworthy even when it didn't seem like it and even when it was terrible. So don't give up. When faced with prayers that are not answered in the way you hoped, I encourage you to lean in. Lean in to God who knows our God is not some removed God. Our God came down who knows pain and sorrow and grief. He is a God who suffers with us and he's with us in that pain. And we can wrestle with God about that. We can lament. We can tell God, like, just read the Psalms. Like, so many of them are laments about how terrible things are. And some of that is directed towards God. God can handle it. Wrestle with him about that. Um, and then we lean into community. We don't carry hurt and confusion alone. Isolation leads to deformation. But in community, we can be formed in the way of Jesus. So allow your community here to walk with you amidst the challenges of life and the tensions of prayers that do not lead to the results that we wanted. I believe that God always answers our prayers. I don't think prayers are unanswered. I think many times we do not get the answer we would have preferred. So we ask even when it's hard, because God loves you. He delights to give his children good gifts. He is not an unjust judge or a grumpy neighbor. So share your day in prayer with God especially the gratitude um, and the lament. One final encouragement as a simple way to start your life with God or your day with God. Um, if we want to be people who are living in communion with God, who are walking with Jesus, consider your morning routine. How are you inviting God into your day and starting the conversation and initiating relationship when you get, just get up? So I encourage you, try this week. Just greet God when you wake up. The Spirit has been with you even as you slept, catching and carrying this whole world. Um, but you are being awakened to God's presence. And you can look forward to the day together with God. An easy way to do this is to pray the Psalms just like Jesus did. And his followers have done for centuries. When you first wake up or when your feet hit the floor for the first time, pray this. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Engage, connect with God. Frame your day. Invite God into it. Because we want to be people who have deep relationship with God, which includes both talking to God and talking with him. And the journey of where we're headed, of listening to God and just being in community with God, I think is illustrated really well by the beginning, by the beginning of the movie, Soul. One, two, three, four, stay on the beat. Two, three, four. That's in sharp. Two, three, I see you, Caleb. Cut it, go for it. I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club, and that's the last place I wanted to be. But then I see this guy, and he's playing his chords with force on it. 
And then with a minor, I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then he has the inner voices. And it's like he's, it's like he's singing. And I swear the next thing I know, it, it, it's like he floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it. And he took the rest of us with him. That's when I knew I was born to play. So to play jazz, you have to learn. You have to be taught. You practice what you've been taught. You do it in community like the kids in this class and Joe's class are learning. Um, but the goal is always to be able to make beautiful music, to play, to improvise. The girl Connie is playing. Joe is playing. That's the goal. Prayer is like jazz. We move from praying others' prayers or just talking to God to learning to talk with God. And the journey will continue next week when we dive into listening to God because we want to be able to play. We want to just have a life of prayer that flows from us, but we take steps to get there. At Catherine's Preschool, they say, a, actually they sing a simple prayer before they have snack time. So if we ever, we pray before meals in our home, if Catherine ever prays, she's begun volunteering to pray for our meal at home, and this is, this is what she prays. She says, Thank you, Jesus, for the food. Help us build our bodies strong for you. In your name we pray, amen. Right? Because that's how we learn to pray. Someone teaches us. They give us the words. They give us the song. And we pray that. And that's where we start. But we want to be people who express our hearts to God authentically as well. Perhaps haltingly at first, with words that we've learned from others, we start to talk to God. We share about the good and the bad. We thank him for the blessings and gifts. We mourn and lament the brokenness in our lives and in our world, struggling with God through the pain of unanswered prayers or no's or not yet's. And we ask in humility and expectation, in confidence for ourselves and for others to see the promises God has made fulfilled and his kingdom come to earth in our hearts, in our families, in our world. This is what we do and pray. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, you are good and you love us. We do not have to manipulate you. We can just talk to you like we would a friend, like we would a parent. We want to learn to do that well. We want to learn how to actually have a relationship with you. And that happens in prayer. And that's not an obligation. That's an invitation into a relationship. Help us to learn how to do that well. To pray the words of Scripture. To express our days. To begin to listen to you. And just to begin being able to rest in your presence. Knowing that we are loved beyond our ability to comprehend. Help us, Lord, to grow here. Because we want to be with you. When we're with you, you change us and you change the world through us. Thank you for your love, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.